0: Hi, welcome to speaking of sex with a pleasure mechanics. I'm Chris from pleasuremechanics.com and on today's episode, we have a very special guest. Justin Laymiller, PhD is here to speak about his brand new book. Tell me what you want the science of sexual desire and how it can help you improve your sex life. We talk all about fantasy, where sexual fantasies come from, what sexual fantasies mean about you and your relationship and your psychological well-being, and how to translate your fantasies into desires and get more of what you want out of your sex life. His brand new book is a fabulous overview of a huge project he did surveying over four thousand people and I was amongst them. Um, He is the director of the blog Sex and Psychology and he works at the Kinsey Institute and we have a very in-depth conversation about sexual fantasy coming right up. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to remind you that you can come on over to pleasuremechanics.com where we have our full podcast archive very fast approaching 300 episodes. And please enroll in our free online course, the erotic essentials. So we can give you our foundational knowledge and strategies to build the sex life you most want on your own terms. You can find all of that at pleasuremechanics.com. You can support this show and help us continue to make free sex education for the world by coming over to our Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, Patreon.com slash pleasure mechanics, and support the show for as little as a dollar a month and become part of our inner circle of supporters. For this episode, we are going to be sharing some bonus resources to our patrons about how to fantasize and worksheets to get in depth into your fantasies and figure out what you actually desire. And we will also be recording a bonus episode because after this interview, I had a lot of thoughts about fantasy and desire that I wanted to share. So we have a bonus episode just for our patrons over at patreon.com slash pleasure mechanics. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Justin Laymiller, PhD, about his new book, Tell Me What You Want. Here we go. So can you get us started by introducing yourself and the work that you do?
1: My name is Justin Laymiller. I am a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. Uh, I also run a blog called Sex and Psychology that I've been running for the last uh, seven years that's designed to inform and educate the public about the science of sex. And uh, I also wrote a book that's called uh, Tell Me What You Want that uh, just came out. And it is based on the largest survey of sexual fantasies uh, ever conducted in the United States. And it helps people to better understand what their fantasies are where they come from and how they might talk to their partner about them
0: okay so the whole title of your book which launches today as we record (laughs) this so exciting is tell me what you want the science of sexual desire and how it can help improve your sex life so i want to ask you about two words fantasy and desire because here at our work at Pleasure Mechanics, we try to make a real clear differentiation between fantasy and desire. Fantasy being the realm of imagination where anything is possible, and desire being what you really want more of. Do you differentiate between these two words? Is this useful to you?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And it's something I do talk about in the book that uh, just because you fantasize about something doesn't necessarily have any deeper meaning. It doesn't. Uh, reflect something that you truly want or that you really need to act on or or, or so forth. Um, so our fantasies sometimes are just an expression of the fact that we have an active imagination or that we just enjoy new and interesting sensations and they, and they don't have any deeper meaning than that. Um, but our fantasies, especially our biggest fantasies of all time, um, those by and large, do reflect our desires. So, so when I asked people, for example, to describe their biggest sex fantasy and to say whether or not they wanted to make that fantasy a reality, the vast majority of people said they did. So our fantasies and desires often overlap, but certainly not always.
0: There's a Venn diagram there. Because I find it especially important because a lot of people have fantasies that disturb them or that seem to go against who they believe they are in the world. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what is the psychological nature of a fantasy? Where do they come from? What do they seem to mean about who we are? What function do they play in our lives?
1: Mm -hmm. So our fantasies, the, the way that I see them after conducting the survey and writing this book is that our fantasies are this unique reflection of our personalities, our sexual histories, and where we are in our lives mm-hmm. right now. Uh, okay. So how old are we? Or what is, how do we feel about our relationship if we're in one? Uh, so all of these things come together to create a set of psychological needs. And those needs are reflected in our fantasies. Um, So so I see our fantasies as not just being about a certain act that's aimed to achieve gratification but rather uh, our fantasies often have this underlying emotional element when we start stripping back the layers that says something unique about us and and where we are right now so I think our fantasies in a lot of ways uh, are therapeutic because they're designed to help us cope with different issues at different points in time and as a result our fantasies often change throughout our lives so what we fantasize about now might be very different from what we fantasized about 10 or, or 20 years ago and what we're going to fantasize about in 10 or 20 years from now it might be very different from what we're fantasizing about now
0: what is the difference between a fantasy and a fetish
1: hmm well um, a fetish is something that really turns you on and that you really need in order to experience arousal and sometimes orgasm and and when that fetish is not present it's harder for you to become and stay aroused and uh to reach orgasm so sometimes our fantasies do reflect fetishes in the sense that you know we kind of need to to have that that fetish object there and present to to enjoy sexual activity and to get in the mood Um, but other times, uh, a fantasy doesn't necessarily have that underlying uh, fetish element to it. So I, I, I would see them as being, again, kind of like a Venn diagram where there's some overlap, but uh, they're, they're distinct things.
0: Hmm. So I remember taking your survey a few years ago, and I remember being quite extensive. Can you give us an overview of the kind of information you were gathering and why you chose to do this research in the first place?
1: Mm -hmm. So the survey itself was massive. There were Mm -hmm. 369 questions, uh, to be exact. And it started with asking people to write out in narrative form, their biggest or favorite sexual fantasy of all time. Uh, And then I also asked them to sum up that fantasy in just one word, which I found to be one of the mm. most interesting things. Um, you know, just creating a word cloud of, of those one word fantasy description, descriptions was, was fascinating. Um, from there, I asked hundreds of questions about people, places, and things that they might have fantasized about. Uh, I also asked extensive questions about their personalities, their sexual histories, their demographics, so that I could look at how their fantasies were connected to to who they were. So it's it's really a treasure trove of, of information, and I don't know of any other um, uh, work that's quite like it. Um, my reason for, for, for doing this survey in the first place, um, th- there were a couple of reasons. One is that there hasn't been a lot of research on sexual fantasies in recent years. In fact, the last major review paper on sexual fantasies was published in 1995, which is uh, kind of a long time ago. And a lot has has changed since then in in our sex lives, such as the fact that online porn is now everywhere. Um, so, so I wanted to look at, you know, how fantasies might be similar or different today than, than they were in the past and, and how they're related to things like porn use. Um, but also there were just a lot of questions I had about fantasies that had never really been explored, like how we see ourselves in our fantasies and what that means and what it says about us. So my goal was to update and expand our knowledge of, of sexual fantasies.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to me. I love looking at erotic history, erotic art throughout the ages. And the themes seem to be the same, um, and yet we also have this idea that our sexuality is greatly influenced by the culture around us. How mm-hmm. do you see this relationship between like intrinsic human desires and what we are given permission to experience by the culture around us?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I would say in my work as a social psychologist, I've always taken a what I call biopsychosocial perspective, Mm -hmm. meaning, uh, you know, there are biological and evolutionary factors we need to look at. And then there are, um, you know, social and environmental influences. And then there's sort of our own unique uh, individual psychology and all of these things come together to influence um, things like sexual fantasies and desires. So um, it can be hard to separate out what the unique contribution is From each of those elements, um, because I think uh, fantasy and desire, these are complex constructs that have multiple influences. Um, But with respect to to culture specifically, there are undoubtedly influences of the culture that um, emerge in our sexual fantasies. You know, for example, um, when I Ask people where their fantasies come from, and uh, I see that a significant number of people say that their biggest fantasy is something that stems from something they saw in pornography. Uh, so, so there are certainly some connections there between uh, cultural factors and fantasies, but uh, our fantasies are much more complex than that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're looking at the results of your survey, certain things are not going to surprise anyone, like a lot of people are into threesomes or group sex. Um, But the other findings were real game changers. What did you find that most shake up our assumptions about sexuality?
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, there are so many things um, that I found to be really fascinating and interesting. One is that Men's sexual fantasies contained a lot more emotional elements to them than most people would expect. Um, Mm -hmm. Most men were fantasizing about emotional fulfillment, you know, feeling desired and validated and sexually competent um, were, were some of the most common. I I think we have a tendency to look at men's fantasies and think, you know, it's all just about physical gratification and, you know, how many different bodies can I get in there? Um, But, but it's not just that. It's um, when you start looking at something like threesomes and group sex, people usually want to be the center of attention there. And when you start looking at what that means, it's often about a deeper desire to feel wanted, to feel competent. So uh, there's a lot of emotional content in men's fantasies and, Rarely are they fantasizing about totally emotionless sex, where it's just this mechanical sex act. Um, also, something I found interesting about women's fantasies is that they're a lot more adventuresome than most people expect, too. You know, most women are fantasizing about uh, group sex and, and BDSM, at least sometimes. Uh, so women's desires and uh, fantasies are highly variable and, and complex. Uh, and we have a lot more in common than, than you might think.
0: Mm -hmm. So you work at the Kinsey Institute. And one of the things we think about Kinsey's research in retrospect is that he kind of showed a light on what was already there and gave people permission to feel a little bit more normal. Mm -hmm. And he was looking at things like frequency of masturbation and homosexual desire. What is the social consequence of your research? What do you hope that it opens up for people in the culture right now?
1: Mm-hmm. so people have a lot of guilt and shame and embarrassment and anxiety that they're carrying around uh, when it comes to their sexual desires and a lot of us just feel weird and abnormal and it's interesting because you know things have certainly changed a lot since the time of, of Kinsey's pioneering research but we still have all of this shame mm-hmm. that that's tied into our sexual desires so one of my hopes for the book is that people who read it will come to see themselves as um, you know being more normal than than they thought they were, that their desires are are widely shared and that there's nothing um, uh, necessarily pathological or or problematic about them so i think just feeling normal is something that can give people the permission they need to start accepting their desires and to potentially start sharing them and maybe even acting on some of them with a partner uh what i found in my work was that most people who had shared a fantasy with a partner and who had acted on it said the experience was even better than they expected and um and and that it actually brought them closer to their partner and improved their relationship so i think there's a lot we stand to gain by integrating our fantasies more into our sex lives now that doesn't mean that you need to act on and share any and all fantasies that you might have um uh, because that goes back to our earlier discussion about you know fantasy and desire and uh you know the overlap between them um and also there are some fantasies that just aren't safe or legal or consensual right so there are a lot of caveats when it comes to you know making the leap from fantasy to reality but i think that the the more we can come to a point where we can communicate openly about fantasy and desire the better off we'll be
0: Hmm. what is the cost of the self-judgment the repression the shame how do you see as studying psychology how does this impact your overall well-being in life
1: Mm -hmm. so people who run away from their desires, who repress them, end up suffering in the end. And we know this from research showing that when people try to suppress their thoughts, that it just doesn't work. And what happens when people try to actively avoid thinking about something is that it creates this obsessive preoccupation with that thought, where you end up thinking about it even more than you otherwise would. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately, in the long run, is is damaging to, to people's mental health and well-being. It makes them less happy. So we need to get to a point where we can start to accept our desires rather than trying to run away from them and and suppress them. And uh, the more that we can do that, the, the better off we'll be uh, in the end.
0: Hmm. And do you think this understanding of fantasies as seeking balance, so there's a common idea that over controlling CEOs fantasize about submission, for example, or the feminist that wants to get spanked. Um, Do you buy into this idea of seeking balance within our sexual fantasies?
1: You know, that's a very popular idea. And I think that's one of those things where, you know, there might be a hint of truth to it. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it, it I didn't really see that in my survey results. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that when it came to fantasies about uh, power, in particular, that people tended to fantasize about the amount of of, of power um, that they have in reality. So it wasn't really the case that people were were trying to escape, uh, say, the burden of power, like uh, mm-hmm. you know somebody who's a very powerful CEO fantasizing about taking on a very submissive role. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I don't know how much I buy into that because mm. I just didn't really see that coming out in my survey.
0: Mm. Interesting. So a lot of people struggle with their fantasies. Jack Moran called them troublesome turn-ons. Um, we hear all the time from people who have a lifelong sexual fantasy that they just don't feel good about can these fantasies go away? Or do they you need to seek a therapist? How do you deal with fantasies that really bother you ethically?
1: Mm -hmm. So uh, if you have a fantasy that becomes a persistent source of distress. It's very bothersome to you. Um, that's the kind of thing where you might benefit from seeking professional help in terms of how you manage it and deal with it, especially if we're talking about a fantasy that, say, uh, is, is non-consensual in nature or that would be very harmful to your health if you were to act on it. Um, so so speaking with a professional can help give you the tools for, for managing those kinds of desires. Um, also, If you just have a fantasy that you're, you know, let's say it's consensual and and safe, but it's just something that you're uncomfortable with from say a moral standpoint um, speaking to a therapist is something that that could also be beneficial in that case as well uh, you know there are different reasons that people have hang-ups about their sexual fantasies but if it gets to that point where it's creating this persistent psychological distress and is interfering with um, you know your your relationship your sex life that's the time to seek professional help
0: mm-hmm. And that therapist might say, go for it. This is totally normal and safe. And they might give you strategies if it's not. And your book really, it's kind of half data crunching and looking at the patterns and then half a guide on how to bring fantasies and desires more into your sex life, which mm-hmm. I thought was brilliant because otherwise we just leave people hanging. Um What is the process? What conditions need to be present in a relationship to get to this place of honesty and vulnerability?
1: Yeah, so you need to be in a good place with your partner first, right? So I I talked about how sharing your fantasies with your partner, potentially acting on some of them can improve your relationship. But if your relationship isn't already solid to begin with, this isn't the kind of thing that's going to help you. You need mm-hmm. to work on the, the underlying foundation for the relationship first. So that means having good, open, honest communication about sex with your partner. And a lot of people don't have that. So you need to, to first work on that communication piece and then also build up the, the trust and intimacy so that when it comes to sharing something like your fantasies, these, these very deep desires that, um, people have a lot of emotions about, uh, you need to have that level of trust so that you don't feel like your partner is going to judge you or, or shame you for, for being turned on by something. So it's really all starting with those fundamental building blocks of the relationship communication trust intimacy and and once you're at that point then you can start exploring and sharing your fantasies with your partner
0: do you think it's important to roll this out in baby steps
1: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) you know you don't want to come out and uh uh, just talk about your deepest and most adventuresome uh sexual fantasies of all time um I, i of the mindset that you want to do this gradually because most of us have a lot of different fantasies a lot of different desires so start low and and go slow you know you don't need to get everything out all at once and that can help in terms of the building trust and intimacy is to just talk about some of your less adventures some desires to begin with and then kind of work your way up from there over time
0: so all of this takes a certain level of sexual maturity um What are some of the tangible steps that couples or individuals can take to start gaining the confidence and um, skills to even articulate their fantasies and then to bring them to a partner? Like, what is the first step for you?
1: (laughs) Well, the first step, I think, is... um...
0: Reading the book.
1: Yes, reading the book. second step. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Because you really need to have that level of self-acceptance first mm. of, of your own desires, right? You need to get good with you before you can uh, even contemplate moving from there. Mm. So it's it's the self-acceptance piece. It's the starting to establish communication piece that, that are vital. And when it comes to establishing good sexual communication, if this isn't something that you've really done before, you've never really uh, learned about or had much experience with, then find some good icebreakers for starting to have conversations with your partner about sex. And I have a lot of them that are in the book where you just sort of find this non-threatening topic uh, that, that you can use as an introduction to start talking about sex. And that, you know, that could be you know, a, a, a sexual game that you play with your partner. It could be a conversation that begins when you watch a steamy movie with your partner. And it's just, uh, just starting to have those conversations. They don't necessarily need to go into the deep desires at first. It's just get comfortable talking about sex uh, is, 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 is really the good starting point.
0: Mm -hmm. when you say get good with yourself first do you think it's a mistake to talk with a partner about things that you're still finding troublesome or shameful
1: that's an area where you definitely definitely need to tread lightly Mm -hmm. um certainly talking with your partner about some desires that you haven't fully worked through if they ended up having those desires too then then that could potentially be a point where uh, it could help you in terms of coping with uh, the, the, the shame and anxiety that you might be feeling. But I think start first by talking about those desires that, you know, you've come to terms with, uh, because that's going to help in terms of creating that level of trust and intimacy you need.
0: Mm. One of the pieces of advice we give a lot for talking about fantasies is when you're on the receiving end to really be clear and start asking questions about what the fantasy means before you assume. So if a man is talking about wanting to cross dress, for example, or wear lingerie, a lot of partners might assume, does this mean you're transgender? Does this mean you're gay? And maybe they just like the silky sensation of the fabric, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we start parsing out what our fantasies mean? And what parts of the fantasies attract us?
1: Mhm. And and that is definitely an area where you need to be very clear in communicating with your partner about what does this mean and what is my hope in sharing this fantasy with mm-hmm. you because sometimes people go into this where it's just sort of auto dump, you know, where they just <laughs> come out with the fantasy and then there's no context and nothing else to it, and that leads a lot of people to email me uh, <laughs> or pull me aside at bars and say, "My partner told me this. What do I do?" And that the piece about cross dressing is the one I get asked about uh, with with great frequency. You know, I've had people pull me aside at, at bars and at dinner parties saying, "My my husband is into this. Is he gay? What you know? What does that mean?" Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I think you need to to give your partner context for your fantasy. And and when you're sharing a fantasy, tell them if it's something that, you know, is just a fantasy or if it's something that you're thinking about acting out, because those are two very different things, right? Um, and, and also talk about the role that your partner plays in your fantasies as well, uh, because the, one of the goals in sharing your fantasies is to, uh, you know, make sure that your partner feels validated by it instead of threatened and insecure which is what a lot of people end up feeling so uh you need to make sure that you present your fantasies in a way that is careful and where you describe uh as much as possible the meaning behind them and what your intentions are
0: am i remembering correctly that your data showed that a lot of fantasies include the primary partner
1: yes and more often than not people are fantasizing about your partners Um, the one person who is most likely to appear in your fantasy is your current partner it's not some celebrity or porn star and i think that's something that should be comforting to a lot of us is that in our fantasies we're not necessarily trying to escape our partners, for our relationships. We're just looking for ways to augment our sex lives. Uh, so I, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to sharing your fantasies is just make it clear what your partner's role is and, and validate them in the process because that's going to be more likely to bring them on board uh, so that you can, if you're thinking about potentially acting on that fantasy, that you, you might have a shot at that actually happening. Mm.
0: I also loved your focus on... Our self-perception in fantasies. What are some of the ways people change their own self-image in fantasy, and what are the psychological implications here?
1: Yeah, this was one of the things that I found to be super fascinating in that I'm not aware of any work before that has really explored this. But I found that most people change themselves in their fantasies in some way, whether it's giving themselves a different body type or a different genital appearance, or being of a different age, or having a different personality. There's all kinds of ways that people change themselves. And the changes we make depend on our gender, and they depend on our own personality. Um, so, for example, women are more likely than men to fantasize about changing their bodies, uh, which I think speaks to cultural pressures that we put on women to, to look a certain way. But men are more likely than women to fantasize about changing their genitals, which also gets into cultural pressures about men needing to have a, a big bulge in their pants, right? Um, so. So people often fantasize about changing their body, but they also often fantasize about changing themselves. And in particular, uh, I see that women are more likely than men to fantasize about becoming more dominant in bed, especially heterosexual women, uh, whereas heterosexual men are more likely to fantasize about becoming more submissive. So there, there's... A lot in our fantasies about sometimes wanting to break free of, of sexual scripts and and to try new things because i think oftentimes we feel that we're supposed to be uh, a certain way in bed and our fantasies can sometimes help us to uh, to, to break free of that um also uh your personality traits are related to the way you change yourself in your fantasies. So for example, people who are more introverted fantasize about being a more outgoing version of the self that uh, can navigate sexual relationships easier. Uh, people who are um, uh, very conscientious, meaning they're very detail oriented, fantasize less about changing themselves and their fantasies. So, uh, you know, the way that you change yourself and whether you change yourself at all, says something about you and your personality, which is, I think, really interesting.
0: Mm. How frequently do you see um, like, women fantasizing about being in the male body and having a penis and vice versa? Like, What is the gender-bending aspect of this?
1: Yeah, that, that was also really interesting. I found that that was a common fantasy, but that men were actually more likely than women to fantasize about what I call gender bending, which would mean uh, being in the body of the other sex or uh, cross-dressing or having sex with a partner who is uh, transgender or transsexual. Um, so men were more likely to have all of these gender bending fantasies, whereas uh, women were more likely to have fantasies about um you know, sort of experimenting with their sexuality. So, for example, heterosexual women were more likely than heterosexual men uh, to have homoerotic fantasies. Um, So so men and women, it seems, are uh, fantasizing in some ways about experimenting with themselves in different ways. And for men, it's more about the experimentation with their gender role and expression. And for women, um, more about experimenting with their their sexual orientation. Mm.
0: And... What do you expect, if you did this survey in another 25 years, would you expect that the results would change? I feel like sexual culture is changing so quickly. Um, what do you kind of, what do you forecast for sexual culture <laughs> for the next 25 years?
1: Uh, that's a great question and one that I've not been asked before. Um, so. I would predict that, that if I were to repeat this in another quarter century or so, that you would certainly see some differences in what people are fantasizing about. But I think the main and dominant themes that characterize sexual desire that I talk about in this book would still be present. So I think the same underlying themes would be there. They just might be expressed in different ways. So... I don't think we really talked about this yet, but the main themes and things that I discovered were uh, multi-partner sex and uh, power and control and novelty and adventure, uh, taboo activities, uh, passion, romance and emotional fulfillment, the homoeroticism and gender bending part. Uh, You know, those themes aren't going to go away, but people might find new ways to express them. And and that's something that I found really interesting about this work is that people are just endlessly inventive and flexible when it comes to expressing their desires and beating their sexual needs. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if people come up with some some very new ways of fulfilling them. But I think the underlying building blocks of desire are the same.
0: hmm. Of these seven themes, the one that surprised me was passion and romance. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't tend to think, I mean, maybe this is like my queer kinky perspective. I don't know, but I don't tend to think of sexual fantasies as including those relational elements. Um, how does that show up? Like, what are you fa- fantasizing about if you're fantasizing about romance? Is it that desirability? Is it the the connection?
1: Yeah, it can it can take multiple forms. Um, you know, it could just be, for example, having sex in this very romantic setting where it starts on a beach and then it moves to the bedroom and there's uh, you know, candlelight and champagne and all this kind of stuff. Uh so, so it could just be, you know, a setting where there's all of this this romance that just creates this feeling, this mood. Um, or it could be about, you know, just feeling that that intensity of passion that, that somebody just really wants you and is, you know, ripping your clothes off. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so so it can go in a couple of different ways. Um, but, but something else about these themes is that they're not independent and, and mutually exclusive. Uh, in fact, I think for most people, their fantasies often reflect one or more Mm -hmm. of these themes at the same time and somebody for example who has a multi-partner fantasy there might also be that emotional element to it uh there might be a um a uh, a taboo element to it as well or a novelty element so these things can all overlap uh and um it's not the case that just your fantasy is only one of those seven themes
0: Mm. And do you think there are people who, by nature, fantasize a lot and have a huge erotic imagination, and there are people that fantasize barely at all? Is this a spectrum, or is it about giving ourselves permission and time to go into it?
1: It it is absolutely a spectrum. Um, There are some people who have what we call fantasy-prone personalities, uh, (laughs) meaning (laughs) they have overactive imaginations and they're just always fantasizing and the content of their fantasies is incredibly diverse. Um, And so when you're looking at, fantasies and what they mean what they might say about someone if you're someone who has this fantasy prone personality your fantasies don't necessarily mean anything other than that you just fantasize a lot uh so so that's something we need to keep in mind (laughs) um because our fantasies don't always have deeper meaning some people just just have a lot of fantasies by the same token, there are some people who don't fantasize very often, where maybe it's, you know, a few times a month or a few times per year. And that can be normal, too, you know, uh, depending on just sort of where you fall on the spectrum and and, and what your personality is. Um, I, I think the only concerning or troubling part is when people have fantasies that they try to run from and hide from and, and they're just trying to suppress them in order to reduce their frequency. That's, what I said is counterproductive because those fantasies will come roaring back with a vengeance later and, uh, uh, can, can create this obsession and preoccupation.
0: And sometimes when we look at like extremely, um, homophobic politicians, for example, um, there can be this idea that when you repress your fantasies, sometimes that turns into violence against the people who are actively living that lifestyle or that fantasy Is Mm -hmm. this backed by any data about repression turning into violence towards others? Uh,
1: Now, I can't say that's something I've necessarily explored um, about the, you know, turning into violence part. What I did find, though, is that there was a link between being more uh, socially and politically conservative and having more fantasies about, taboo activities uh, so for example um, uh, you know fantasizing you know being republican and fantasizing about uh and and, and being republican and male and fantasizing about same-sex activities right uh, you know there is a link there uh and and you know in terms of understanding what that means oftentimes there's some self-hatred uh that that's involved there and you know, we have seen before that that can express itself in very damaging and, and counterproductive ways. Uh, so so we do know that link exists. But in terms of getting to the violence part, that's not something that I've really explored in my own work.
0: Mm. So are you done with this data after writing this amazing book? Or are you going <laughs> to continue mining it? What's next for you?
1: Yeah, so there is so much data in here. And I didn't get a chance to fully explore everything in the book. Uh, so there will certainly be some follow-up explorations that I'll do on my blog and in, in my other writing. I don't know that there will be another whole book on fantasies, but I still think there are a lot of questions worth exploring. And one of the next steps for me will be uh, to, to go in and, and replicate uh, the findings uh, that I talk about in this book. Because, you know, we're, we're in an era where... Um, we're concerned with the replicability of uh, scientific research. And so I want to make sure that uh, the things that I've found and reported hold up. So I'm going to try and replicate a lot of those findings in another large-scale survey that I would uh, then go and and publish in in academic journals and so forth. Um, But what I wanted to do with this book was to create uh, something where the science would be accessible to to everyone, because um, fantasies are a topic that almost everyone is, is interested in. At least almost <laughs> everyone I talk to seems to be interested in it. So I wanted to create a resource where people could go and, and learn about it and hopefully benefit from uh, what the research says.
0: Mm-hmm. I love your work so much. Can you tell folks where to find you online?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, so my blog is Sex and Psychology, which you can get to at sexandpsychology.com. Uh, I also am on all of the social media channels. Um, uh, Facebook at uh, Dr. Justin Lay-Miller, uh Twitter at Justin Lay-Miller. Um So to follow me wherever wherever you'd like. All the links for social are uh, on my website.
0: Mm -hmm. And your new book that launched today, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help Improve Your Sex Life. Thank you so much. And folks, if you're listening and read the book and have any follow up questions, send them over and we will do future podcast episodes for you. Justin Lee Miller, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. It was fun. Mm -hmm.
0: All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Justin Miller about his new book. Definitely grab a copy of it. And if you have any questions about sexual fantasy, we would love to hear them. Come on over to pleasuremechanics.com and let us know what's on your mind. And please, if you love this show and want to support us in continuing this work, come on over to patreon.com slash pleasure mechanics. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N Patreon dot com slash pleasure mechanics and join our inner circle of supporters for as little as a dollar or five dollars a month you'll get bonus resources bonus episodes and more coming to you through our patreon patreon patreon.com slash pleasure mechanics and we are always happy to hear from you i'm chris from pleasuremechanics.com and charlotte and i will be back with you next week with a full episode of speaking of sex Cheers.